Welcome everybody to my show. My name is Mark Kumar and I'm a lifestyle entrepreneur. If this is the first time you're tuning into my show, let me tell you just a little bit about it, how it can help you. This show is for entrepreneurs who are looking for ways to achieve their personal as well as their business goal a lot faster. And these are the things that I'm gonna personally help you based on my own experience, all the things that I have done up until now that has worked great for me, more specifically, that I have done that got me result. But furthermore, I'm going to be talking to industry top leaders who are going to share their secrets that has worked for them to help you get to your end goal a lot faster. Hello, everybody. My name is Mark Kumar. I'm a lifestyle entrepreneur. Today, I have a dear friend, Miha. He's going to help you with some of the challenges that you may potentially are facing or going to face in terms of failure. So Miha, please introduce yourself, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey Mark, uh, it's first of all nice to be guest on your show. And uh, well, nowadays I'm known as the fail coach. Uh, and that's not just a fun twist on all the success coaches out there. It, it comes from my past huge monumental failures that I've dealt with. And the wrong way how I was dealing with that, I had a lot of depression, anxiety, even suicide attempts until finally, uh, thankfully, when I was like seconds away from committing suicide, I was able to have the aha moment and then slowly rebuilding myself. So I didn't just learn everything in, in, in one second. It took me three and a half, four years of self-development, business development until I really started seeing the lessons that failure brings and, and failure for what it really is. And uh, so, yeah, nowadays, one of the things that I help people or help entrepreneurs is establishing healthy relationship with failure because it's really important. Um, every entrepreneur who has been in business for a little while will tell you that failure is inevitable. Um, especially when you're doing things for the first time, you're pushing yourself out there, out of the comfort zone. It's, it's of course, it's logical that you will fail. Now, how you react to that failure determines whether you will go down in downhill in this, you know, combination of emotions and negative self-talk or you will take the lessons and move forward. So fail fast, fail forward. And yes, I still fail. Uh, of course, I know how to set up systems that enable me to see failure quicker and react to it quicker so I don't fail on a huge scale anymore. Uh, and uh, the second thing is that uh, I don't see failure as a bad thing. Um, I, if I don't fail for a few days, that's a bad thing because that means that I'm slacking off. I'm in my comfort zone and nothing magical ever happens in the comfort zone. Uh, so for me, that means that I'm, I'm not pushing myself, that I'm slacking off. Uh, so failure is a good thing. And, you know, like, but you need to change your mindset because when you look at fear of failure, fear of failure is the number one dream killer. What is it? It's fear of the unknown. Well, go out there, find a re resources on Google, on YouTube, find a coach, find a mentor, find a program that can show you the path 
And then when it's no longer unknown, there's nothing left for you to fear. Okay, awesome. I just want to, this is like mind-blowing, the fact that you said that you were at one point in life where you felt like you wanted to commit suicide. And then can we pause there for one second and not to go too specific in your own life, but what you went through when you were there, what do you feel like what causes a person, an average person, to get to the point where like I, my life is no longer worth living? Well, I mean, I can tell you from my perspective. So, um, you know, before December 2009, I had uh, a bunch of successful companies. My personal network was around 15 million US. Um, unfortunately, my companies had no foundation in place. I was just riding that good wave of macroeconomics. Just like today, you know, today real estate is rising, shares are rising, this is booming, that is booming. Right now, it's quite hard to go bankrupt. But the crisis is just around the corner. Maybe this year, maybe next year, nobody really knows. But, you know, we can learn from history, roughly every 10 to 12 years, something happens. So we are close to that moment. And that's where it, it's really important whether you have solid foundations or not. And my companies get zero foundations. When I look back, I, I look at my past companies as that first house from the three little pig story made out of hay um, or made out of straw. Um, but that's how it was in reality. And like one thing led to another. One of them was in real estate. All others were co-signing for that loan. It was a huge real estate project. I also co-signed it. The bank stopped the project because uh, the prices of real estate dropped so significantly. They took money from all the companies and bam, in just one day, I lost everything. I also got divorced because of that. Um, and uh, friends that I fought were my friends from different, you know, big important organizations like Rotary Club and Cigar Club and so on. They never answered my phone anymore. So... I was really left all alone. And, you know, with, at that time, I was blaming everything that happened to me, not on myself, but I blamed it, you know, government, crisis, politics, you know, they didn't react, they didn't, you know, do something for us, and so on, which is stupid, because, like, let's be honest, uh, when can you ever count on the government to do anything? Um, I mean, that's the reality of it. But the thing was, you know, like little by little, um, I, at first I had plenty of ideas. Oh, I'll try this. I'll try that. And I, I went out and I tried it. I was a fighter. But, you know, I exhausted all the options. Phone calls from people and companies I owed money to became, you know, from nice to, to we'll, we'll take legal action to we will do stuff to you. So it, it turned into mafia calls. Um, and then, you know, Depression is 24-7, anxiety 24-7. You are always under stress. Um, up here, you have this nuclear reactor going on in your head, you know, overthinking um, and, and, and uh, just trying to come up with ideas and you see no ideas. And then, you know, slowly that darkness goes into you. And uh, at one point I thought, okay, so this was it. Like I used the good part of the life. No, 
and and now that's the new reality and this is it for the rest of the life and then you know days go by and you start thinking well what's the point of living you know if this is it what's the point i mean i was always a fighter when i saw a ray of light i don't need much just a little bit but at that time after months of this i saw nothing and life became pointless and why i wanted to really commit suicide was not to run away it was more because i was craving silence i wasn't able to you know calm down my my brain uh the inner monologue um and, and i just wanted a little bit of silence um i'll give you two examples uh one a friend of mine called me to invite me to his birthday two or three weeks later i opened my mouth i wanted to say yes and then my brain said well you probably won't even be alive tomorrow and i wasn't able to to give him a reply uh, when he called me another example Friday afternoon, phone calls stop until Monday morning. You would think, ooh, fiesta. No, I was like literally trying not to sleep the whole weekend to extend it for as long as possible. Uh, because, you know, you go to sleep, bam, eight hours are gone. You go to sleep twice, 16 hours are gone. And so I was trying to stay awake just so that the time from Friday afternoon to Monday morning would last forever. Um, I was so much dreading Monday morning when I knew the phone calls would start and this and that. And, and yeah, one evening, my apartment was just about to be taken away from me in a few days. I was sitting there on the balcony smoking a cigarette. And I just stood up and, and climbed <clears throat> over to the other side of the balcony, like over the fence. And I was like leaning like 45 degrees, just holding myself with one hand, looking down. And I distinctly remember, I was thinking, will I do this right or will I fail at this as well and end up just on a wheelchair? Because that will not solve anything, you know? That will not solve the nuclear reactor in my head. And, and at that time, I had this not so nice dialogue out loud with myself. I was using a lot of very juicy words that I do not want to repeat, but it was along the lines of, you know, you messed up, you, 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 you did this wrong, you made so many mistakes. And, you know, hearing myself say the word you, 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 you changed something because it was the first time I realized that I made those mistakes. And it was like a moment of, full ownership over the good and the bad and the ugly and that ownership pro produced this last aha moment which was oh my god if i made so many mistakes and bad decisions and so on and i was still able to get to where i was if i do things differently if i change i can do better and that was that little ray of light and I, I, I went back in and I started fighting again. And then, like I said, it took me three and a half, four years, personal development, business development, all of that, before I started my last startup in 2014. And I scaled that startup from zero to multiple eight figures in one year, and then to multiple nine figures next year. So we made over 700 million in, in revenue. 
and then I sold it to a Fortune 100 company, had a very successful exit, repaid almost 7 million of past debts because of the interest and everything. Um, and I found myself in this strange place where I had the freedom of time, the freedom of money, and as I call it, the ultimate freedom, the freedom of choice. And yeah, that's when I started just, I mean, it wasn't intentional. I didn't become a coach intentionally. I just love hanging out around entrepreneurs. So I would go to a lot of events for entrepreneurs and conferences and meetups. And I would constantly go to local incubators and accelerators and co-working spaces just to be surrounded with entrepreneurs. And of course, you know, people were asking me questions. I was always willing and ready to help and to mentor and so on. And then one day it, it kind of had this realization like, oh my God, like I, I, I don't have as much money as I had, but I feel like a billionaire in my heart. And it's so, so much nicer to help others. Uh, and it, it, it just gives you so much more. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that's how the fail coach was born. Man, I have so many questions. First of all, thank you so much for sharing this profound story, like where you were, which was like here, like negative 25, if you want to call it. Because if you're about to commit a suicide, to me, that's like the lowest, lowest point you can get. And then you went all the way up, scaled it up to multiple figures in your business. And then one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was during your process of uh, self-development, which one program that you felt that helped you tremendously? Um, it's a combination of multiple things, you know. It, it, I can't say it's one thing because I had so much to work on myself. Like, you know, I had to get rid of perfectionist mindset, better done than perfect or, you know, like permanent beta, always learning, always growing. Um, I was always the lazy person. So I had to become a doer, not a, uh, um, excuse maker. Um, I had to learn mindfulness and emotional intelligence because that's so important. Uh, the thing is, you know, when, when, sh when, when things happen, um, to, and to us entrepreneurs, it's always something. It's always a fire here, fire there. What you do is you react on an autopilot. But the thing is, your autopilot got you where you are. So if you want to be somewhere else tomorrow, you need to change that autopilot. Now, the best thing that I know how to do that is through mindfulness, being mindful throughout the day, being in control. So when things happen, you can step away from the current moment. You can do like, you know, like a breathe in, breathe out. Home. And, and, then, and then emotional intelligence to, because often what I see with myself in the past and with all other entrepreneurs is that they use emotions when logic is needed and they use logic when emotions are needed. Can you so, give an example to that? Because I'm really curious, like how does that work in terms of from your experience? Um, um, let's say we set a goal in a business. Right. We don't reach it. Uh, the problem is in the process. So we were either making wrong steps or there are bottlenecks that we need to figure out where they are, eliminate them, and then we'll reach those goals. Now, most entrepreneurs, instead of, oh, okay, let's go back to the process. Let's figure out what in process doesn't work. They got 
you get all emotional. Or just the other day, a few days ago, a fellow entrepreneur, we are talking and, you know, he was like, oh, one of my employees, he did everything wrong and this and that. And he was just venting out. And I said, like, dude, I'm, what good is going to happen from you venting out? You know, it, he was emotional. Uh, I said, there's just two things. Either your HR process sucks because you obviously employed the wrong person for the job. So you can either fire them or put them on a different position. Or maybe he is a good person. But your processes suck. So go back, figure out why that problem has happened and improve your processes instead of, you know, just venting out. Nothing good will happen from that. So, you know, instead of acting logically, oh, a mistake was made, let's figure out where the mistake was and let's improve how we do things. He went all ballistic and, and you know, emotional and, and venting out and so on. So most of the time we use the wrong think for when things happen uh, you know like for example what do you want to do in life that should come from your heart but then making a business plan that's logical um, employing people that should be emotional you need to inspire employees but then setting up kpis to clearly measure what they're doing that is again logical so you know like we constantly go back and forth between logic and emotion and emotion and logic and and, and so either we need to really become very grounded, very well balanced and really use the left and the right uh, side of our brain. Or if we can, let's hire a very good COO if you are the emotional creative type of entrepreneur and let that COO take care of the structure and, and, and all of that. You know, so, um, so yeah, emotional intelligence is very, very, very important when it comes to leaders in general, not just entrepreneurs, but basically CEOs, C-level executives, emotional intelligence is so important because no single job, even if you are in accounting where you're mostly dealing with numbers, you still have places where emotions are needed. Maybe when you're dealing with clients or something like that, you know, like you can't escape the balance and the dance of both. Yep, absolutely. Um, so, so, so things like that, I mean, and probably plenty more. So I was really, I really had to work on a lot of self-development stuff. And that's why a lot of my work now with entrepreneurs, whether through my programs and, or through my one-on-one -on -one coaching, is a lot of the work is on them, the entrepreneurs so that they become what they need to be because you, the entrepreneur, you are that first pillar of foundation. That's where it all starts, inside of you. And we are all dealing with inner demons. Maybe, you know, my inner demon is procrastination. Maybe yours is, I don't know, fear of success. And, and, and you know, like the third person has fear of failure. Or maybe we have multiple demons. And those demons don't just go away. We just have to fight them every freaking day until we become stronger and the demons become weaker. Right. So speaking of your coaching program where you work with tremendously different kind of like entrepreneurs, where do you feel like if somebody who's like, I have an idea or become an entrepreneur, but I don't know where to start. So what advice would you recommend for a person going from zero to five to start from there? Like you need to do yeah, X, yeah. Y, and Z to become an entrepreneur yeah. first. 
yeah. So the first thing, let's, let's explain, because most people are aware how house gets built. First, you go to the architect and you make a blueprint. Now, here you can either uh, find a coach or a mentor or a program that will help you build that blueprint of yours, or you can do one on your own. Like I can build my own blueprint, but if you are very new to business, maybe you need some outside help. There's also, I think, a lot of books out there on how to create lean business development plans and business plans and so on. So first you need a blueprint. Then it's foundation. And then once foundation is there, you can go up and build a house. Same goes with business. So first, you need to do some lean business development. In the business development phase, uh, the first thing is product market fit. Um, uh, not having a validated, proven product market fit is the number one reason why businesses go bankrupt. And the second one is cash flow management. Um, but the first one is product market fit having a validated proven product market fit product market fit is a triangulation of three things audience product business model and it's not a linear process you don't go first audience then product then business model it's a bit of back and forth back and forth between those three until you nail it and then you have to sell a few that's the only way how you can validate whether you really have i mean you know like I can tell you about my product and you'll say, oh, wow, Micha, yeah, that's so amazing. I would totally buy that. But when I come back and I say, hey, Mark, give me your card. I have the product. You said you want to buy it. Give me your card. Well, if you don't, then maybe I don't have a validated product market fit. You know? Right. Uh, so you have to sell a few. Um, and, and then you start building the other parts like, you know, client journey and processes and, uh, content for your marketing efforts and uh, uh, figuring out which resources you will need and then how I will market, how I will sell, how I will deliver products or services, how I will take care of customer experience and what's my back office. Back office is usually uh, taxes, finances, legal, HR, asset protection. And okay. so, you know, you start building all of that together and then at the end, you have a real, real blueprint. And then you start executing. Okay. Can we talk a little bit about what, 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 one of my favorite topics, which is sales. I know you have been to like tremendous in business in terms of figuring out how you can scale your business from zero to like six, eight figures and nine figures. So tell me some advice that you can give to entrepreneurs who are just starting out if they want to sell their product that people like actually want to like hey take my card i want your product and just give me the money how do you go about defining that way well i know that a lot of entrepreneurs they start with first having a product they they come up with a product or a service or something with service it's easy because you can pivot quickly with products, it can be more difficult if you already produced thousands of products that are lying now on your shelf and now you're trying to sell them. Uh, I, when I do my business development and what I suggest to my clients is to figure audience first and let that audience guide you what struggles they have, what, uh, what uh, desires they have. And then you start thinking what are some of the possible services or products that can bridge those gaps 
So I always start for the audience and I let audience feed me with everything. Um, And that audience can feed me what they're ready to pay for somebody who would solve that solution. And so it's so much easier to get to the product market fit. And then, you know, I come from the startup world. So in the startup world, everything is MVP style. So I would just, you know, try to pre-sell before I start building. Like look at Tesla. What did they do with Cybertruck? You know, they made one, uh, ran it on, on, the, on the stage, and they, they sold, like, how many people paid 100 bucks to reserve theirs? I, I think they gathered, like, 20 or $30 million in cash flow just with the reservations. And now they can use that money to leverage it and to build uh, the, the production line and so on. Uh, So I would always try to figure out what's the minimum, minimum, minimum viable product that I can start generating some cash flow with. Again, with services, it's of course easier. Let's say I'm a coach. I come up with a certain coaching program. All I have to do is a landing page, a little bit of funnel and start funneling people towards there. And, And then I can even see what their feedback is and then I can pivot very easily my product or my service. Now, of course, if you have a product that's much more difficult, you know, if you already produced a lot of them, but that, that, that's something that a lot of people make as a mistake. I mean, I know a lady, um, she's selling this protein bars, uh, but almost nobody's buying them. And now when I tell her, like go out, ask why they're not buying, get some feedback. And she says, well, I already have pre-packages for so many thousands of pieces. I will need to throw all that away. But I said to her, like, I mean, what's better? Throw that away or just go bankrupt completely? Because you're not getting anywhere anyway. You know? Uh, so, yeah, like. I would never start with first the product and then try to figure out everything else. I would always start with an audience. Build an audience, listen to that audience, and let the audience guide you. They will tell you what they want, how they want it, how much they're ready to pay for it, um, where they are, how you can reach out to them, how you can market to them, what content they need, um, everything, if you just listen enough to your audience, they will feed you with everything that you need uh, in the beginning and later on as well. You know, like you just listen to them. Oh, we want retreats. Cool. I'll make one. Oh, we want your book. Cool. I'll write another one. You know, obviously that makes a huge difference because that way you are not spending your time energy on something that you feel is going to help them as compared to you they're telling you hey give me this stuff and i'll give you money yeah pretty much all right cool that makes a lot of sense it's like okay so anybody who's those are two ways how you can start a business i prefer the one that goes from the audience because i feel it's way easier It, it yes it's not that innovative because you know you're not People will not innovate for you. They will tell you about their current needs. But I never like to be at the start of the uh, bell curve anyway. You know, because usually people, companies that innovate, they never end up being first in the market. Like, look at Apple. Right. Apple didn't innovate smartphones. There were smartphones before. 
he entered when smartphones were slowly hitting off and then he crushed the market. And I, I heard a few years ago that Apple has 10% of the market share, but 98% of all profits that happen in the smartphone market go to Apple. Like all others are making zero or even losing money. Holy cow. Wow. Yes. Okay. But, but it's all from understanding the market. They know exactly who they're selling to, the message, everything. They know what they're doing. You know, like look at any keynote. Well, I wouldn't say the last few ones because they started to go in a bit wrong direction in their marketing effort. But if you look at any keynote from Steve Jobs, I was really learning a lot from his keynotes. He never spoke about any RAM and processor and, 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 and pixels and anything. He was like, you know, like, oh, your, your granddaughter can, can talk to you with FaceTime. And like he was, they were just hitting people's emotions. There was no logic there, no technicality. And then you, and then you watch Samsung going on stage and they were like, oh, this processor and so many gigabytes and megabytes and this and that. Um, like, I believe that there is this perceived value ladder. And when I'm solving a logical problem with a logical solution, that's consumer grade. That's when, if I need something that solves a logical problem of mine with a logical solution, I'll just go to the first store. There's no customer loyalty and I'll just buy whatever comes into my hand, whatever is cheapest. Give me an example. I have a printer there and maybe uh, my paper is out. I'll go to the first store. I'll just pick a pack. I don't really care about that paper. I don't print that much and I only print things for me to write on so I don't need any extra quality. That's a consumer product logic with logic now you can solve logical problem with an emotional solution uh, like you know oh i need a car but then you know i'll go and buy bmw it doesn't make any sense you know i mean bmw it's not that better i mean i had a few of them they really aren't but you know they made good branding and you know when you're a young kid you know like it's all about the the, the girls and the ladies and, and, and all of that and the speed and, and so on. But let's be honest. I mean, I had a few BMWs. I had a few Mercedes-Benz. And like, really, like I had a Kia car as well. And, and you know, I didn't see much difference, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, if yeah. I take all the emotions away. Yeah, I think it all boils down to it's, if you want to get from place A to place B, they're both going to get you there. It's just yeah. that one is so, going to be more expensive. Yeah. So I'm saying it's a logical problem. You know, I don't have a car, but then we go emotionally and they sell us an emotional solution where we pay more. Now, the highest on that, like, and then I believe that we can't really solve emotional problems with logical solutions. Just look at smokers. You know, we all know that, you know, you're going to save so much money. It's not good for your lungs, but that's not why we smoke. It's not because we want to throw money away. It's a different thing. It's a logic, it's an emotional problem. And most smokers, why they quit, uh, a doctor tells them that they will die. And that's a huge emotional shock. Or maybe their son or daughter comes and say, oh, daddy, why are you going to die? I'm not going to die. Well, you are smoking. It says here you're going to die. And then that, that makes that shock in people. 
emotional shock and they stop immediately. They smoked for 30 years, but then that single thing stops them from ever smoking again. So, um, so I, I don't really think that you can solve an emotional problem with a logical solution, or at least not in most cases. And then we have the, the, where we want all to be. It is solving an emotional problem with an emotional solution. That's where Apple really excels. That's where all the luxury uh, uh, companies excel. And that's where you get into that premium uh, grade. Um, you can offer things at premium price. You have customer loyalty. You have fans, raving fans, and so on. And that's where you want to take your product. And so when I work with my clients, even when they have the simplest thing, we always try to get into behind of the problem and the solution and try to figure out some emotions that might be guiding their clients uh, and why we could position ourselves above the rest of the competent. Can you give an example in terms of like product speaking wise that you have worked with one of the entrepreneur who came to you and then you helped them create a product for that person? Example, any example. Yeah, I mean, anything from, from different coaching programs uh, and then products. Uh, for example, e-signature solution with our startup. Um, and, and, you know, uh, it's a very boring thing. It's not an exciting thing. And we were able to transfer the content to get into that, uh, to the higher price range. Um, things like... Um, feminine hygiene products with another startup um you know and and we were again touching on not so much the women but their children because it was connected with moms with child with children and and so on i mean uh, every single time when i'm working with a client i always try to work with them that we get that positioning to that level okay cool. emotion so with emotion Emotion. So basically, if you want to sell anything successfully, don't do this, which is emotion with logic, but instead do do this, which is emotion with emotion. Once you combine yes. the two, your, style, your sales yes. will skyrocket, at least yeah. like Apple did. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it will probably take some time, but yeah, it will be long term. Because, you know, if you position yourself on the market as commodity, and even if you say, oh, we are the cheapest on the market, that's the losing game from start because tomorrow somebody will be cheaper than you. And, and you know, like, um, like in a part of every business development model is one thing that's called unique sales preposition, unique value preposition, different terms, but it means the same. It means like, why would I care? Why would I buy from you? And, and you know, if, if you only think is, oh, because I'm cheaper, okay, I will buy tomorrow. But then tomorrow when somebody tells me, oh, I'm cheaper than Mark, I'll buy from them. Right, actually, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, yes, you can make business in the consumer market as well. I mean, you have many companies like Walmarts and so on who are very successful being in that we are the cheapest range, but it's a very, very hard business to compete in. It's a very hard because you are up against Amazons and Walmarts and so on. Um, it's, it's much easier to work towards positioning yourself in that uh, premium, premium position. Can I ask you something uh, personally that I think 
people who are listening to who are into the coaching field that they feel like they can truly benefit from it. It's like if you want to start your own coaching business, like for example, fitness, sales, advertisement, whatever, it doesn't really matter. What advice can you give them to say, hey, do these things and that will help you scale your business? Coaching Um, wise. I mean, are they are already doing or they are starting? They start. They're thinking of starting it. They have oh, a okay. knowledge, okay. and they know what they need to do to get the clients result, but they just don't have clients. Well, I mean, because you know, before we can start start talking about scaling, sure. we need to organically produce some validated, proven models of marketing and sales that consistently generate results, and then we start with you know, preparing the scaling uh, foundations. But when they're really starting, first thing, and maybe it will take you months, but first thing is find an audience, create an audience. Okay. That's the first thing. And then all you have to do is listen to that audience. But go out there and talk with people, find an audience, and then give them what they want. Listen to them, really listen to them. And the best thing is, especially for coaches, uh, we are in a very human to human business. You know, there's a lot of talking, there's a lot of co-working with our clients, a lot of coaching calls and sessions and this and that. Uh, Like, do you want to work with people who you hate talking to? No. So figure out who you really want to serve, who you feel most connected with who you enjoy talking anyway because it will be much easier and then just go and talk with those people listen to them and see what are the struggles what are the desires of course take that conversation a little bit towards what you want like if you're a health coach talk more about their health and how they're satisfied and what they want and so on. But always try to figure out the underlying emotions and then come up with, this is what I'm offering. Okay, great. Thank you. First of all, for that exact blueprint that people could follow, actually create an audience is going back to the whole, what you were saying, like in a sense, like, Hey, don't create a product that you like, create a product that audience want to pay for. It will be much easier. It, it will be easier, yes. So on a, another note that, have you ever had a client or an entrepreneur who came to you like, hey, I'm terrible, terrible, and I'm failing in terms of creating content. How do I overcome that process in terms of mindset as well as steps? I mean, I'm not a marketing coach, so the, the coaching that I do is especially on the foundational part. Um, and I mean, yes, I do understand marketing from psychological uh, position. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would definitely tell them, uh, create stories, do the storytelling. Storytelling is the most effective way of content marketing. Again, talk with your audience, see how they think, what they want, not what you think, because you're already after that. That's why you're coaching them. You need to get to their level, understand how they resonate, where they search. If they're on YouTube, don't post on Facebook. You know, if they're typing in, um, I don't know, I want to start my business, then don't start your video with, um, you know, a title that's completely different from that. 
Um, you know, so, so listen to your audience um, and, and they will give you enough material for content and also how they are searching for it. Because what? Search is really just how the more you can do things, the way people search, the better your SEO will be. Right. Um, so that would be my advice. But, you know, again, I'm not a content coach. I'm not a marketing coach. So I would uh, highly suggest them to either find a coach that can help them in that or, you know, maybe to even go and outsource to a good content writer. Okay. So can you share one or two stories that you, a success story more specifically, that one of the um, entrepreneurs that you work with, when they gave back you the testimony or write your email, you were like, holy crap, this is why I do what I do. Well, I, I especially love the adversity stories. So okay. I, I do have a lot of those success stories. Uh, but, you know, when my clients are from U.S. and Canada uh, or Australia, people say, well, you know, it's easy for them. They have the money. They are local. They are this. They are that. So I especially love the stories that are from coming from adversity. And so you said two. So one could be I had one young boy. 22, 23, uh, from Kenya, uh, from Nairobi, Kenya. He was a copywriter, and but he was making two, three hundred bucks a month, which is not that bad for Kenya. I mean, not that good, but you know, you can, you can, you can live off of that. Uh, and we went through, like, I, I took him under my mentorship, and we were working a lot on his. Uh, limiting beliefs and because you know he was like oh who will buy from me i'm from kenya they see that i'm black and they you know already devalue but you know we had to uh polish up his profile do this do that um and yeah now from what i last heard from him he's making about seven eight thousand dollars per month consistently and wow. he is even uh, uh, thinking to reinvest the money he doesn't need for himself and make a school in Kenya to teach young people how to do what he's doing. So that's 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 very uh, inspiring story. I love stories like that. And then um, I just recently, like maybe a, a recent story, about a month and a half ago, I started working with a lovely young lady from the Philippines. She was a VA. And now she wanted to become more like a digital marketer. But, you know, again, Philippines, you know, like we people, we are, we, whether we want to admit it or not, we're always a little bit racial. And when you see somebody's from Philippines, you think, oh, I'm going to get this super cheap and it's going to be crap. But I saw that she's doing really amazing work, uh, really, really uh, uh, very on par with what I've seen from others. Uh, she just hasn't positioned herself, so she made some tweaks to, to her profile, uh, to her content. Um, and yeah, month and a half ago we started, and I think it was yesterday or the day before yesterday, she, she sent me uh, her Stripe account screenshot, and she said that I can use it in, in our private uh, group for my program um, to showcase it. She already made two and a half thousand dollars. Now, it might not seem much for, you know, somebody from California, but for Philippines, that's huge. That's really huge. Um, and, and yeah, plenty of those. I, I love those, those. Those are the ones that 
warm my heart much more than uh, you know the normal success stories. Even I love those as well, of course. But these stories that come from like huge adversity have a special place in my heart. I mean, that's huge because, of, like for example, the first first example, the guy from Kenya. He not only learned from you, and then he turned around and paid forward to create a school so other people out there can learn it. Like, that's huge. If I got something like that, I'd be like, thrilled. Like, this is the stuff that why I do what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I do what I do. I mean, literally, that, those are the stories that um, even, you know, sometimes we all have these moments when... I don't know, something's not working, it's a bad weather, and you know, you start thinking, like, why do I even bother? Why do I do this? Why do I put myself out there and so on? And, you know, like, just, I don't know, a, a few weeks ago, I had a moment like that when I said, I don't know, I did a few things and nothing was working out, and I was like, I don't need this shit, you know, like, I'm just gonna sell everything and, and go move into the mountains and, and, and watch sheeps, you know? And, and that's it, and live my quiet life. Uh, but then, yeah, these stories are what keeps me, like, you know, motivated and inspired to, like, do more, to reach out to more people, to do more with them and, and help them even more. So, yeah. Awesome. And, you know, that just brings back to the point where I was talking to one, one, one of my friends where, you know, everybody starts off with, hey, I want to make money. I want to make money. I want to make money. Let's say, for example, you have $100,000 in the bank and you go there, you are happy for what, two, three seconds. Oh, I got $100,000. That's great. Well, As compared to when you have a gentleman from Kenya who's telling you this thing, what an impact you have made on his life. I think that definitely outvalues the money you have in your bank. To be fair, you know, like before my failure, I had everything, right. you know, like crazy cars, vacations, restaurants, uh, you name it, I had it. So I already saw that part, you know, the glamorous life. What I realized after my failure was how empty all of that was, you know, how, how I was empty on the inside, even though I had all of that on the outside. But if I wouldn't experience that, I wouldn't look at it that way. You know, I would probably say, oh, you know, I do want a better car. Now I know because I had, you know, all my cars were new cars. Like I said, Mercedes, uh, BMW and so on. Yes, for a few days, you know, all those new buttons and clickety clicks and everything. And you're like, ooh, like a baby, you know, in, in the Lego store. Uh, but then after a few days, it's just a car. I mean, I say to people, go rent it for two weeks, drive around in Porsche or, or in Ferrari. And, I, and, and if after two weeks, you still feel like a kid in a Lego store, then rent it for another two weeks. And if even after one month, you still feel like that, go buy it. That is a great point. I never thought about that. Rent it for two weeks. If you still want to get it, because I'm, I'm sure after two days, like you said, people are going to be like so over it. Like, oh, okay. Like when you first get your first new phone, like, oh, this is cool. Touch this, touch that. And then a day two later, I'm done with it. Okay, just another phone. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, I, I like, I, I'm still buying everything from Apple, but you know, I'm not like the moment new phone comes out, I'm in the store 
No. When, when the old one dies, I buy the newest one and like not die, but you know, when I see that the battery is low and, and you know, the quality, like when I see, okay, now this, it's time to change it. Then I just go and buy whatever is the newest and then I'm good for the next two or three years. Right. Exactly. Right. So Miha, I want to ask you this. If you can give one advice to a person of your older let's say younger version of yourself who was 10 years from now, 10 years in the past, what advice would you give the younger Miha to get to where you are now? Well, I mean, when we talk about Miha, I wouldn't give him any advice because <laughs> the, no, but the thing is, if I would give him advice and Miha would change something, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I wouldn't be uh, absolutely in love with the love that I have and what I do and so on. So, you know, I had to go through all of that to be where I am. So I fully, uh, like, I'm grateful for uh, how my life uh, went through all those hurdles. But if I would be talking to somebody, I would say two things. Number one, develop healthy relationship with failure. You will fail much more than, you know, you will succeed. At the end, the successes will overweight those failures anyway. But deal with failure in the right way and then the second one would be lay down strong foundations it's so 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 important okay uh, another thing leads to a question which you just said is like what is your definition of failure now um failure is just you know lessons lessons and i can learn from it i can grow from it and uh yeah just move on, just move on. no special definition yeah because so most people when they think about failure there's always a negative uh, thing like oh failure is no. a negative thing negative 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 no i i literally brainwashed myself to the point where there is nothing negative about failure whenever i fail at something whenever something happens to me that's a failure um i just go immediately in like first i do breathe in breathe out and then okay what lessons are here for me to learn what do i need to learn from this particular thing why did this happen what could i have done differently what can i change in the future what can i learn that's it and i just move on I mean, that's a very interesting way to look at it because in the in the past when I had to overcome my whole concept of what failure was and then I got to the point where like hey failure is just an experience nothing more so that yeah. if, if I look at it that way there are no emotional attached to it if there are no emotional attached to it just then it becomes just like a regular car regular phone and that's it and that's the one yes that's awesome. So where can people actually get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you or get to in your coaching program and stuff um, like that? They can just go into the Google and type in fail coach and then just pick whatever works best for you. <laughs> there, right. There's nobody else who calls himself fail coach in the world. So when you type in fail coach, I think like the first four or five pages on Google, it's just, um, you know, our Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube. And then they can just pick whichever one they prefer. They can start following me for a little bit. See, uh, uh, I put out a lot of content. Uh, I do believe it's very valuable content. 
And then, you know, if they want more, they can always go to my website, uh, fail.coach, and, and that one will take them there to my different offerings. All right. So who would be the ideal client for you that you would love to work with? Well, I mean, I do have one specific ideal client that I love working with, and that those are mompreneurs. What is um, a, what is I, a, what I, is a mom? No, I never heard that term before. Oh, it, it's it's moms with young children who become entrepreneurs. And the thing is, like whoever knows me in person, they will all tell you that I'm the craziest mom they've ever seen when it comes to my doggies. So that's something we have in common with mompreneurs, um, and uh, they have the most amazing wife, their family, their children. Um, and they are already used to, you know, like that when, you know, that sometimes you need to do shit to, to, to go to where you want to be. They're used to that. So they're hardworking. They do stuff. It's not, you know, we men, we tend to try and find shortcuts even when they don't exist. A lot of times we have big ego involved in, 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 in everything that we do. With mompreneurs, when they trust you, they follow you. And you get easiest, best, and, and, and most satisfying results with them. At least for me as a coach. I mean, I work with men, don't get me wrong. I work with younger people, with older people. But, you know, if I have to choose uh, the ones that I love working with the most and where we align the most is mompreneurs. All right, so if you are a mompreneur, make sure you get with him and he would definitely help you out to get where you want to get to. Awesome. Well, first of all, for Miha, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. This truly has been a very learning and educational and an amazing experience. So thank you for being on my podcast. I truly appreciate it. Any last parting words that you'd like to share or say? Um, well, thank you for inviting me. It was nice talking to you. I, I always love and enjoy doing this. And yeah, I mean, just, yeah, uh, foundations and healthy relationship with failure. Those are the two most important parts for every entrepreneur. Awesome. Hey guys, I just have a small thing that I want to ask you. If you really enjoyed this podcast and you found it valuable, make sure you follow wherever you're listening to it so that way you can get my new podcasts in your inbox or in your whatever app that you're listening to it and also i have a small gift for you that you can get absolutely free by going to markkumar.com forward slash gift and there once you're there i have a really cool gift that i actually truly believe that you're gonna enjoy and benefit from there